Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the M Experience Every Towel Waving Moment of Memphis Hoops History with 2022 Grizzlies Playoff Tickets for Round 2, Game 5, presented by Ashley Furniture when the Grizzlies battle the Golden State Warriors Wednesday, May 11th at 8.30 p.m. Playoff tickets are on sale now at grizzlies.com or call one 800 4 NBA TIX. The Grizzlies 2022 playoffs are presented by Orion and your Mid South Ford dealers. Morant with a running start. Elevate. Oh, and Dutch. Oh, my goodness. Tie game in overtime. Gasol will turn his heat. It's gone. Gasol 7 tenths remaining. Only now with three. Count it. A 15 point lead for Memphis. And Blake Griffin gets into it on the floor with Randolph. Hard to tell if there are any punches being thrown under there, but Griffin took except Adams going long. Morant! Welcome to Grits and Grinds, a Memphis Grizzlies podcast. My name is Keith Parrish. The Grizzlies lose game three by a lot. They end up getting blown out by the Warriors, fall down two to one in this series. Big story, big takeaway, John Morant hurt his knee uh, sometime at the end of the game, and he is now, according to the Grizzlies, unlikely or there's a good chance that he is not going to play in game four on Monday night. That's the news as of Sunday afternoon with Taylor Jenkins addressing the media. The accusation has been that Jordan Poole's tug on his leg and on his knee is what caused the injury. Lots of Online doctors with MD and their Twitter handle weighed in and said that seemed unlikely to cause any kind of sprain or injury. But Taylor Jenkins has said, as a matter of fact, 
According to what John Morant says and to what their medical team says, that is the instant where John Morant got injured. So there's been a lot of basketball to talk about, but unfortunately so much of this series has turned to the flagrant fouls and then the suspensions and then now this injury, and I don't know what kind of fallout is going to happen. I don't think anyone enjoys this type of thing, um, but now the Grizzlies are facing possibly not having John Morant for game four and beyond. This thing about how Ja Morant got injured, it's going to keep being a controversy. And I don't know how you solve it. Can sports science solve this? Uh, this accusation from the Grizzlies and their medical staff and Taylor Jenkins and Ja Morant that like that play that Jordan Poole did is is how it got hurt. I don't know if we'll ever get definitive answers. Everyone with their tribalism has basically circled up and it seems to be defending their own team at all times. So it's a very, very weird series. Um, I can't get much more into that. I am going to try to break down this game three and then we can talk at the end about what it looks like in game four with possibly no jaw, but with Dylan Brooks returning. Outside of the injury, the big storylines from game three, it's just that the Grizzlies got smoked. Their defense wasn't nearly good enough. And it also was that they stuck with Xavier Tillman, and we still have these lineup questions. Like, should you have gone back to Steven Adams? Um, you know, Steven Adams was healthy and available and played in garbage time. So there are plenty of questions just based on what happened in the game outside of the jaw injury, like the Grizzlies' own maybe lack of adjustments. And then I think a huge story as far as the basketball itself is that the Warriors made several big adjustments I think where I'd like to start to analyze this game, to go over what went right, what went wrong, uh, some of the bigger issues that might have occurred, I just want to start with the fact that Dylan Brooks was not available because of the bad flagrant foul he committed in Game 2. And the Warriors themselves were coming off a loss. They had three full days to prepare for a Grizzlies team that wasn't going to have Dylan Brooks, and they made a great adjustment. So I think as much as fans, we have lots of opinions on like who Taylor Jenkins should have played and maybe which players could have played better. For me personally, I'm thinking mainly about the fact that the Grizzlies were shorthanded not having Dylan Brooks. The Warriors could prepare for that. And in addition, they made some key strategic changes that really affected the Grizzlies. One of them, one of the big ones was they went to zone it many, many times to slow down the Grizzlies, and it absolutely worked. And to some degree, I think the Grizzlies might have played into their hands. Taylor Jenkins, somewhat concerningly in the postgame press conference, said that, you know, the Warriors made adjustments coming into game three, and we did not. We did our same game plan. They changed their game plan. That isn't exactly a confidence-filling quote, but... That's what was said. So the Grizzlies decided with Steven Adams' return to not start him. I think some people thought there was a chance. I officially threw my hands up in the air and said, I have no idea what is going to happen. I don't think it's a simple decision. I think looking back on a 30-point loss, you say, hey, you made the wrong decision. I don't know. Going into the game, the various factors that I would consider, if you start Steven Adams, I think that means you don't play Xavier Tillman. There's no spot in the rotation for Xavier Tillman and Steven Adams. I think you feel pretty comfortable with your Jaron and Brandon minutes and then with Kyle Anderson playing some. 
Your fourth big is going to be Steven Adams or Xavier Tillman. So did it feel odd to go from Xavier Tillman starting and Xavier Tillman having a great game two to just say, hey, you're out of the rotation? I think maybe that was a little bit weird. I don't think Taylor Jenkins was prepared to do that. He said he started Tillman because of how well he played last game and he had a gut feeling. Now, Taylor Jenkins says he has a gut feeling a lot about things. That's one of his kind of pat answers that he gives for things, specifically lineup-related questions. He just says, you know, I had a gut feeling for this. So, like, if, you, if you're going to start Steven Adams, your concerns are how do you guard the, the Warriors' three-point shooting? They're shooting off of the dribble when they set high screens with Draymond or whoever else. You know, like, who is Steven Adams going to guard out there? And then how does it affect the offense? Now, offensively, maybe there were times that you wanted Steven Adams out there, but if they go to zone, you know, will that also clog down the same way? Steven Adams' big gift is the massive screens and the offensive rebounding. Now, the offensive rebounding usually increases uh, when the opponent goes to zone, so maybe you'd have more ways to hurt the zone with your rebounding. A very unfortunate stat for this game is the Grizzlies did not grab a single offensive rebound as a team in the 21 minutes and 32 seconds that Xavier Tillman played. The second chance scoring, once again, did not materialize. The Grizzlies lost the second chance points battle. They lost the points in the paint battle. They lost rebounding overall. I know a common refrain that everyone is repeating is, this is surprising. We thought we would win the rebounding battle. We thought we would win the second chance points battle. Well, to my eye, a lot of it, it's not surprising based on the way the games have gone. The area where the shots are coming from. The Grizzlies are shooting lots and lots of three-pointers. The Warriors game plan in game one and in game two, and one part that stayed the same for game three is they are allowing the Grizzlies to shoot three-pointers, and the Grizzlies are acquiescing. Now, the Grizzlies got off to a hot start in game three. They made six three-pointers in the first five minutes. They jumped out to a lead. Their first six baskets were all three-pointers. Because of that, you know, with no points in the paint. When you don't have points in the paint, when you're not attempting shots in the paint, you're not getting as many offensive rebounds. You're also not getting the other team into foul trouble. You're not drawing foul shots, getting to the line. The Grizzlies shot three-pointers this entire game. For the second straight game, they made under 25 two-pointers for the game. We circle the Grizzlies making a really good number of threes and say, and I do this all the time, I'm like, wow, the Grizzlies lost despite making 16 three-pointers. They made 16 of 43 three-pointers in the regular season. If they make those three-pointers, they're usually assured of victory. Well, the Warriors have flipped a script, or they have allowed the Grizzlies to match them in three-point makes. Now, the Warriors made a higher percentage in this game. The Warriors shot an incredible percentage for the whole game in lots of different areas. But the Warriors are, one, allowing the Grizzlies to shoot three-pointers, and that's one reason the Grizzlies are not scoring in the paint and not getting offensive rebounds. It's part of it. Also, repeating myself, they're not playing offensive rebounding lineups. 
If you don't play Steven Adams, you can't really assume the team is going to grab a lot of offensive rebounds. Zaire Williams is not a good rebounder. In the regular season, when John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Zaire Williams were playing together, if you exclude the minutes when they were playing with Steven Adams, they gave up a massive number of offensive rebounds to their opponent. Cleaning the glass has them in the third percentile as far as defensive rebounding percentage. That's really bad. They don't rebound well when they have some of these lineups. The three players who played the most together in Game 3, it's John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson Jr. In the regular season, if those guys are on the court without Steven Adams, they're pretty good at offensive rebounding. 87th percentile, not bad. But on defensive rebounding, they're 6th percentile. They're not a good rebounding group of guys. So, like, the surprise over, hey, the Grizzlies are losing the second chance battle, losing the rebounding battle, a lot of that is, it's, I don't know if self-inflicted is the right word, but it's a result of the shot selection. If you're going to shoot mainly three-pointers and you're going to play lineups that aren't particularly that great at keeping your opponent off the offensive glass, well, it's not that surprising. And to reiterate, I don't think just playing Steven Adams is the answer that a lot of people do. I'm not certain if they told me, Keith, you get to pick who plays in this game. I don't know if I would have started Steven Adams or not. I think I would have started Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. together. But guess what? John Morant, Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. for this season. Very, very small sample size. Very, very terrible rebounding numbers. But going back to the start, you have Zaire Williams in there for Dylan Brooks. You leave Tillman. You stick with Tillman uh, instead of playing Steven Adams. You make a bunch of threes. Uh, the opening five-man run, they're up by 10. Melton comes in, throws an alley-oop to Zaire. Uh, you're up by 13. The Grizzlies scored 23 points in the first six minutes. They were up 23 to 11 after Melton makes a floater. Then the Warriors go into zone, and this changes the game. The Grizzlies would then only score seven points over the next eight minutes and 45 seconds. In that stretch, they missed 13 of 14 field goal attempts. What's wild is the Warriors were still turning the ball over in this stretch. It could have gotten out of hand way earlier based on this shooting performance, this shooting stretch for the Grizzlies. The switch to zone, I think, was predictable. You knew the Warriors weren't just going to sit back and let John Morant go one-on-one and not send help. We figured they'd make Joss see a second defender. Going to a little bit of a zone um, made a lot of sense, also when they specifically did it. They waited until Kyle Anderson checked into the game. They waited until it was a Kyle and Brandon Clark front court, two guys who do not space the court. Non-shooters. The Grizzlies' first chance to attack the zone, they got Melton like a wide-open three, and essentially an open three from the top of the key, and he missed it. All right, that's something the Warriors, they've decided they're going to probably live with. The next possession... Zaire Williams took a pretty bad shot, like a one step inside the three-point line, kind of well-contested 20-footer. He missed that one. The next one, Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark were kind of occupying the same space in the zone in the middle. 
Um, and it led on that possession to the Grizzlies getting a shot clock violation. Just this zone was enough to make the Grizzlies stop and think and have to slow down the game, and it definitely broke their rhythm. The next play was a wide open, good look from three on the wing, his best spot for DeAnthony Melton. He just missed it. DeAnthony Melton has this history of shooting poorly in the postseason. He also is a much worse three-point shooter on the road than he is at home. Wide open look for Melton. Couldn't knock it down. At this point, uh, Tyus Jones subs in for the first time. Desmond Bain comes back in, and the misses keep coming. Tyus Jones has a very bad game in this one. Tyus Jones, who looks like he's going to have to start in game four, he is two for 16 from the field in the series. He has missed all eight of his three-point attempts in the series. He was 0 for 5 in game three. Like a lot of the big problems for the Grizzlies, you know, yes, the Warriors played zone and it, it took the Grizzlies out of their comfort zone and they uh, they struggled to score, but a lot of it was Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark missed, missed a bunch of shots that they normally make. You credit the zone somewhat. I mean, that was the that was an adjustment that seemed to work, but also you don't know how much of it was just random variance where, hey, Brandon missed floaters and Tyus missed floaters. Part of it, I think part of the frustration for Grizzlies fans is this little stretch from, from five minutes and 45 seconds left in the first quarter all the way until uh, three minutes into the second quarter where the Grizzlies score seven points. I think there is a legit frustration that that had uh, a lot of bench players on the court, that the Grizzlies still went 10 deep, even though Dylan Brooks is unavailable, even though Steven Adams isn't playing meaning you're playing your 11th and 12th guys. There's definitely no rule that says you have to play 10 guys each game. Uh, but the Grizzlies lose the final six minutes of the first quarter, 15-5. to five. Steph Curry makes a three-pointer with nine-tenths of a second left, and uh, the Grizzlies are up by just two. Um, a minor squabble at this point after Steph makes that three-pointer. The Grizzlies have the ball with nine-tenths of a second left, and Zaire doesn't heave the basketball. He waits till after the buzzer to shoot it. It's a free shot, man. It's the playoffs. Put that heave up. We're going to see a heave go in in the second quarter. Um, let's not waste any opportunities. But uh, the second quarter starts with the traditional start of the second quarter lineup we've been using recently with Tyus and Bain and Conchar with Brandon and Jaron. And it's just more the same. Um, poor Conchar, his minutes this postseason have been catastrophic for the Grizzlies, just the offense abandons them. Um, one of my frustrations from this game is it's not necessarily the, the contrary minutes. It's that Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. barely played together this game. Now, when they did play together, they got destroyed. But they only played six minutes together the entire game. They played six minutes together, and they lost those six minutes 23-7, to which is honestly a little bit impressive with how bad that is. A lot of those minutes are, though, in this stretch right here. The Grizzlies made just one out of 10 shots as a team with Brandon and Jaron on the court together this game. Only two of the minutes that Brandon and Jaron played together were with John Morant. Like most of them were right now with John Conchar on the court. Not playing Brandon and Jaron and job ja minutes together in this game falls back under the why aren't you playing your best players together um, why aren't you maybe starting these guys so we can guarantee ourselves these minutes? I mean, that's a broken record for me. Like, at the end of the first, the start of the second, like, say you want to shorten your rotation. If you don't want to play John Conchar, 
Your options are to play Bain even more minutes. We don't know if Bain was totally healthy. He looked pretty good in his minutes. He made four out of seven three-pointers, continuing his absolutely torrid road three-point shooting pace. This is after knocking in 23-pointers in three road games against the Timberwolves. He goes four for seven. And this one against the Warriors. For the season, Desmond Bain up to 48.9% on road three-pointers. That's regular season plus playoffs. 155 for 317. So like if you play Bain more minutes, maybe he couldn't play more minutes. He said he was up to 80%. That's what they said on the broadcast, that he was at 80% after being at 60% health in game two. Your other option would be, all right, you could play Tyus and Ja together. You could rest Ja Morant even less. Now Ja set out for six minutes. You know, during that time, the Grizzlies scored seven points, which is, you know, quite bad. But Ja only set out six minutes. Is he going to play over 20 minutes in the first half? I guess it's possible. It was on the table before this injury. Like, that's one option. Could you play Melton, even heavier minutes? Melton was active, rebounding. He, like everyone else, seemed to have trouble keeping his defender in front of him. And then Melton goes one for eight from three. He just continues to miss good open three-pointers. Every one of Melton's threes was a good shot. That's a frustration. You absolutely can be frustrated watching DeAnthony Melton miss these three-pointers. They're good looks. He's taking them. He's supposed to be taking them. He has to keep taking them. But with the misses, you know, that's the option. Do you want to keep Melton in there instead of Conchar? There aren't a lot of great options. I would like us to go back there. I would like to go back there mentally where everyone does not agree on what they should have done. With Steven Adams being healthy, with no Dylan Brooks, there aren't a lot of really obvious options. If there's any one obvious option that I keep going back to, my beating of the dead horse is just play your best seven guys or your best eight guys. All right, if Dylan's suspended, the one, the one frustration, if I want to take away something outside of Jaw's injury from this game, is that the Grizzlies only used lineups containing Jaw, Desmond, DeAnthony, Tyus, Kyle, Brandon, and Jaron, those seven guys, they only used lineups with just those five players consisting of just some combination of those five players or five of those seven players for 25 seconds in the first half. And then in the second half, they did it for five minutes and 23 seconds. So that is five minutes and 48 seconds of the 48-minute game did you have five-man lineups consisting of just who I think are your seven best players? That's your main rotation guys who played in this game, not including Zaire, Xavier, or Conchar. In those minutes, they were even. 12 to 12. Another frustration, if I'm picking out the lineup stuff, would be that Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton only played nine minutes together in the game. That nine minutes, the Grizzlies were outscored by one point. So a 30-point loss. When you have Bain and Melton, I think arguably your two best wings available, even if Melton is not making his threes, uh, they were only minus one. They were outscored 22 to 23 in those nine minutes. I mean, we talked about this ad nauseum. Some of the stats got even more intense after the, this blowout loss. That For the whole playoffs, if Xavier Tillman, 
or Zaire Williams or John Conchar are on the court, the Grizzlies have a negative 12.3 net rating. If any of those three guys are on the court, minus 12 points per 100 possessions. If none of those three guys are on the court, you're, the team's plus 15.2. I don't know if it would have mattered this game. Again, we're missing Dylan Brooks. It's just a huge absence. Yes, you, you won in game two. Yes, he had a bad shooting performance in two of the last three games that he played the whole games. But with the Warriors having multiple days to prepare for the Grizzlies without Dylan, it was a huge advantage for the Warriors. And um, and it's a tough position for the Grizzlies to be in, but I still think we could have done a little bit more of maximizing, like, hey, can we have one possession with Ja, Desmond, DeAnthony, Brandon, and Jaron? No. The answer is no, we cannot. At least that was the answer from the coaching staff. As a fan, that's who I want to see. As an analyst, that's who I think is your Grizzlies' best chance in this game, and they did not do that. Now, they got beat so badly, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. And individually, you can look and say, hey, Tyus had a bad game. Melton, one for eight from three, is not going to get the job done. Brandon Clark was last on the team in plus-minus for the second consecutive game. Brandon was minus 24 in 16 and a half minutes of playing time. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered. But I do think your best foot forward is not playing Brandon Clark 16 and a half minutes of a 48-minute game if you're giving Tillman 21 and a half minutes of playing time. Going back to the offensive rebounding, you say, why are, why are we getting beat to the offensive glass? Well, our best offensive rebounder still in the rotation is Brandon Clark. He played less than 17 minutes. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna win a rebounding battle just because we show up and we wear a Grizzlies jersey. We have to play the guys who rebound. I mean, our leading offensive rebounder was uh, was Melton and Conchar. They both had two apiece. What's bad about this game is it felt like a blowout before it was a blowout because the Warriors just wouldn't miss. I mean, the Grizzlies finished the first half in spectacular fashion. Like, John Morant gets back in there. The starters are back in there. They're playing fine. They're still just getting roasted on defense, though. But John Morant hits one of his, you know, usual acrobatic hang-in-the-air-for-forever layups to cut it to 10. And then, after an offensive foul on Draymond Green, uh, the Grizzlies get the ball back with two seconds left, and Ja drains a half-quarter to cut it to seven. So, despite it all, the Grizzlies are only down seven. This is with them allowing the Warriors to score 64 points on 70% field goals. They made 70% of their field goals in the first half. Now, the third quarter, they don't carry any of this momentum over, unfortunately. The third quarter starts exactly how five of the last six third quarters have started with the starters getting outscored significantly. The Warriors opened the second half on a 10-0 run. And this was highlighted before in a previous episode. Since Xavier Tillman has been put in the starting lineup, the Grizzlies, with the exception of game two, last game, the Grizzlies won the opening of the third quarter with their starters in there. In game four, five, and six against the Timberwolves, and then in game one against the Warriors, and now game three against the Warriors, the starting lineup has lost the opening of the third quarter. That's five of the last six where you start the third quarter and the opponent's lead grows. 
And a lot of that was, again, it was an adjustment that the Warriors made. Jonathan Kaminga got the start for the injured Gary Payton, too, in the first half. They thought maybe a little more athleticism would be the answer there. Kaminga played okay, but he didn't have a lot of turnovers. Otto Porter, however, Otto Porter was awesome. Otto Porter was knocking out all of his field goal attempts. Otto Porter was put into the starting lineup for the second half, and he continued the domination that he's been on. Otto Porter was plus 30, plus minus in this game. Otto Porter in the last two games is plus 47 in just total plus minus. For the entire playoffs, the Warriors have a plus 46.8 net rating in the 78 minutes that Draymond Green and Otto Porter have played together. By the way, that is the second best net rating for any two-man lineup combination in this year's playoffs that have played at least 20 minutes together. The number one combination, I put this on Twitter, otherwise you'd never guess it, it's Kyle Anderson and Xavier Tillman. They're plus 46.9 in net rating in their 33 minutes together. It went down just a little bit in this game three. Kyle Anderson was really good in the first half. Kyle Anderson was a force defensively, turning defense into offense. He also, of course, got ejected in the second half in a play that made me a little bit furious. He got called for an offensive foul on a technically correct call. Jordan Poole did an awesome job of demonstrating the contact, getting in good defensive position, and then falling to draw the whistle. So, like, it's a fine call. But Kyle was obviously upset about it. He had a chance to throw an alley-oop to Zaire Williams that would have cut a Warriors lead to 14. And maybe the Grizzlies had like a, what, a 2% chance at completing another comeback at that point. But it is a correct call. Kyle was obviously upset, but then David Guthrie calls a technical on him. Calls a technical on him from like 50 feet away. They were not close when the first technical was called. And then Kyle gets upset, comes after him. He does not encroach on his space, though. I mean, you give Kyle credit. And that's what Jeff Van Gundy was saying. Like, Draymond Green yells all the time. A mild man or Kyle Anderson, you know, is mad and you, you toss him. It did seem like a quick toss. Uh, it did. I don't buy the, oh, the, the refs had no choice. Like, Kyle Anderson, again, he walked towards them, but, like, he didn't, he didn't get within six feet. He then stopped and just talked. Um, but anyway, uh, Kyle got ejected. That essentially ended the comeback chance for the Grizzlies, even if the comeback chance was very, very small. Uh, the hopes at that point, because still to that point, the Grizzlies had shown no signs that they could consistently stop the Warriors. Like the Warriors go up to this big run in the second half. They, they blow the game open to start the third quarter. From the five minute and 45 second mark of the first quarter where they started playing zone to the five minute, 45 second mark of the third quarter where the Grizzlies starters get blitzed. The Warriors outscored the Grizzlies 76 to 43. That's in two, exactly two quarters of basketball, 24 minutes of basketball. In that stretch, the Grizzlies shot 34%. They were five for 20 on threes, 25% on threes, 75% from the line. So they had 34, 25, 75 shooting splits. The Warriors in that stretch had the shooting splits 71-62-100. And that let them score 76 points in a 24-minute span. 
The Grizzlies allowed 75 points in the second and third quarters combined. I mean, in the final three quarters, the Warriors scored 116. The 78 points the Warriors scored in the second half, that's the most points the Grizzlies have ever allowed in the second half of a playoff game. It's the most points they've allowed in a half this season. Actually, it's the most points they've ever allowed in a half in a playoff game. Last year, uh, the Jazz dropped 75 and 74 in uh, first halves of two of their games in the first round. They allowed 78 points in the second half, the most points they've ever allowed in their franchise in a half in a playoff game. The most points ever allowed in any half of Grizzlies basketball regular season or postseason is 81. Uh, the Pelicans did that to them last year. So, like, despite all the question marks over the lineups, despite all, you know, your offensive questions about how you attack the zone, um, just regardless of who plays, I think Grizzlies would think among themselves, and Grizzlies fans would probably agree, you just can't allow that level of offensive performance. Now, maybe some of it was unsustainable, but they were not staying in front of their men. They were letting the players get to the bucket, and thus that was generating a lot of the wide-open threes. Now, some of the threes, maybe not that sustainable. Like, Clay Thompson hit some mad ones. Um, you don't expect Otto Porter, who'd been very cold from three for the entire playoffs, you know, to be so good. Like, Wiggins knocking on threes also. You know, you hope that doesn't happen. I mean, Kaminga had the turnovers, but he finished with 18 points on 10 field goal attempts, eight, eight for 10 from the field. Wiggins was seven for 10 from the field. I mean, the team, for the entire game, the Warriors shot 63%, which, of course, yeah, unsustainable, but also the Grizzlies' defensive effort, just not what you need in a playoff game. I don't know how much of it was, you know, like maybe we can point to the lineups like Zyra Williams playing 29 minutes. They were attacking him. They were also attacking John Morant. They were following the pattern that other teams have done. Like the Suns try to do against Luka Doncic to just attack maybe the weak link over and over and over. But it was a dispiriting loss. It was made even more upsetting now with the John Morant injury news and just the overall weirdness of the whole series. But if there was a bright spot, it was the performance of John Morant, who basically did everything he could and had, I think, an excellent basketball game, despite them trying to attack him on defense. Jaw was awesome. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more after this short break. Tune in to GrindCityMedia.com, Grind City Media on YouTube, or via the official Grizzlies mobile app for Grizzlies tip-off an hour before each game throughout round two of the playoffs. This live stream preview will be hosted by Rob Fisher and feature news, notes, and commentary from Michael Wallace, Megan Triplett, Kelsey Wright-Johnson, Lang Whitaker, and more. Grizzly tip-off is presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers. All right, before leaving with injury, John Morant had a, another huge playoff game. Finished with 34 points. He had seven assists. He made four out of seven three-pointers. Also had three rebounds, and he picked up three steals once again. He picked up three steals for the third consecutive game he had never had three steals in consecutive games before in his career before last game. Now he has a streak 
of three straight games with getting at least three steals. He is also the first player in NBA history to have three consecutive playoff games, scoring at least 30 points, hitting three or more three-pointers, and recording at least three steals. In those three games, he's averaging 38.3 points per game, 8.3 assists per game, 6.7 rebounds per game, and three steals per game. Those are his numbers for this series against the Warriors. He's attempting on average 10 three-pointers per game, making 43% of them. He has three consecutive games with four or more made threes for the first time in his career. Only once before in his career did he have consecutive games where he made at least four three-pointers. John Moran and Robert Covington, by the way, are the only players ever to have three straight games in the playoffs with at least four made threes and three steals. So John Moran putting up huge stats. He did only get three rebounds, like the whole team struggled to get some rebounds. Also, not that many rebounds available when your opponent makes 63% of their field goal attempts. Uh, his three rebounds, that ended a streak he had of eight consecutive games where he got at least eight rebounds and eight assists, which was tied with Magic Johnson and LeBron James for the longest such streaks in a single postseason in NBA history. That unique stat is from Basketball Reference. They uncovered that one. So despite the Warriors' adjustments of trying to close off the paint by maybe packing it in with zone, John Morant still drained three-pointers, still offensively got to his spots, finished in the paint. He did enough. Ja's performance absolutely was enough. It was everyone else who just needed to pitch in a little bit more. I mean, Bain made the four out of seven threes. He had 16 points. If the game had been closer, I think he would have ended with like, you know, maybe 36 minutes of playing time. If he is truly only at 80%, um, that makes sense that he can't do much more than that. Zaire, I thought, was a pretty big disappointment all game. He he started the game with a made three. He connected on a couple of alley-oops that were definitely exciting and good transition opportunities. I believe both of them off of forced turnovers. But he finished with seven points. He did lead the team with four rebounds, which is a hilariously low number for your team leader. For a game. Jaron Jackson Jr. started off hot again. He makes four three-pointers. This is another weird one. Another, yet another postseason loss where Jaron makes four three-pointers or more after being undefeated in the regular season. He makes four three-pointers, but for the second straight game, he does most of his damage in the first quarter. In his last two games, Jaron Jackson Jr. has 17 points total in the first quarter. He's made five out of his eight field goal attempts, including four for seven from three. Outside of the first quarters in the last two games, he's just two for 19 from the field. He's 0 for 11 on two-pointers in the last two games in quarters two, three, and four. I don't know what's going on with that. But Jaron has not been able to contribute offensively outside of the first quarters recently. That's not good enough. And then the bench, they had some good moments, but the shooting just wasn't there. 
DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, and John Conchar were a combined two for 15 from three. I thought Kyle was impactful in this one. Um, I always like Kyle Anderson minutes, even though I know it's been somewhat a struggle at times with his lack of shooting. But if you're going to play zone, he's the team's best zone buster as far as like a big. And I think him being in the middle of the zone definitely is a good way to attack it. I think he's one of the smartest players the Grizzlies have as far as ability to know what to do against a zone. I think maybe one of the wild options you could try, it might be disastrous, honestly. But if like you want to shorten the rotation, if you don't want to play John Conchar, this is, this is an option I didn't mention earlier. If you don't play John Conchar and want to shorten the rotation, you could just play Kyle Anderson at the three. Have Brandon and Jaron out there. I think it's not a disaster, even though, uh, you know, you have the spacing concerns. I mean, Contra had a wide open look from three, just missed it. That happened a lot in this game. Great looks generated against the Warriors zone offense, and they decided they would rather risk allowing those than um, allowing the Grizzlies to attack them on the inside. In game four, let's assume Tyus Jones starts. Some of the positives that can't happen. One of the best lineups the Grizzlies can put out there to stop the Clay and Jordan Poole and Steph minutes is actually a non-John Morant lineup. It's to play Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, and Desmond Bain all together at the same time. Will they have enough ball handling poise? I do not know. But the Grizzlies have a weapon on defense of playing those three guys together and no true point guard. In the regular season, they did some amazing defense with those guys out there. Now, not having jaw is not an advantage here. Despite the fact that I opined and theorized perhaps it was easier winning regular season games at times with a more consistent performer like Tyus, maybe there was less variance with a uh, someone who's turned the ball over and plays a little bit better defense. But, I mean, playoffs are a whole different animal. And for the Grizzlies to win at Golden State without John Morant, seems like it's going to take a pretty massive performance from a lot of players. Can't have off games from uh, so many of the guys. And, um, you know, as far as who's going to start, I think it's a it's a safe guess. Not a safe guess. I think there's a good chance Steven Adams gets the call after how poorly things went. The interesting part is how when Dylan returns and like the unbelievable reception he's going to get, like Dylan might play 40 minutes and Zaire goes from playing 29 minutes in game three to I'd assume eight or fewer in a, in game four situation. So the Grizzlies certainly trust their depth. They trust their guys. They're giving them lots of experience, but uh, it felt like a growing pain moment in game three. And now, again, it's hard to have a good feeling about anything that's going on right now with the injury and just the way that the Grizzlies fans maybe feel particularly aggrieved. And it's weird where Steve Kerr and the Warriors seems to blame the entire Grizzlies organization for Dylan Brooks's bad play which is, I think it's a little strange. Dylan Brooks has not commented about it yet, about his flagrant too, but uh, it, it's a weird spot. It's a down spot. I don't think anyone's feeling particularly optimistic or happy 
um, in the Grizzlies fan base right now. But uh, hopefully that can all turn around on Monday night. That game is going to be at 9 p.m. Central. So we got a late night on Monday. Anyways, I hope you have a great Monday. I appreciate you listening to this episode. And uh, I'll be back on Tuesday early afternoon probably with another episode. Uh, Please uh, share it with other Grizzlies fans who might find the information contained within interesting. Talk to you soon. Go Grizz. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.